Heartbreakers, welcome back to another breakdown bonus episode. I have Celeste, the therapist, on with me today. She's worked in the mental health field for over 20 years, owns her own private practice, and even has her own podcast. Celeste, thanks for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Relationships are my favorite topic to talk about, so this is exciting. Yeah, I love getting into the nitty gritty and finding out from a professional why people do the things that they do. These are some of my favorite episodes. We might not get answers to the questions that we have, but it can at least help us on the journey to feeling validated and not making the same mistakes in the future. A hundred percent. I agree. The story that we dove into this week on the podcast, it started out with a really toxic mother-in-law who wore white to the wedding. She was just overall just not really cooperative with her son's bride. And it really caused a lot of turmoil in this relationship. We see this in pop culture. We see this in our own life. Monster-in-law is one of my favorite rom-coms. Is this like a stereotype that we're projecting onto women or is this something that comes up pretty frequently in relationships with these toxic mother-in-laws. Yeah, I never thought about like, is this something that really happens often or is it something that's highlighted more? You know, anything in society where there's drama or toxic relationships, that's always going to be the thing that people are circling to more. It's the aha factor. Yeah, for sure. Let's say I'm lucky enough to trick a man into loving me and I'm... <laughs> so let's say it's Valentine's Day. I'm feeling a little bitter, Celeste. <laughs> let's say one day I trick a man into loving me and I really want to get things on the right foot with what could be my mother-in-law. How do I take the first steps towards setting healthy boundaries if I can kind of see that maybe she's not going to be the healthiest person to be in my life? One of the things is remembering that the guy or the partner has their own relationship with their mom. That's their relationship. And you can't control how the mother-in-law feels about you, you know, for people that are listening. That's something you can't control. And I think sometimes as the person that's on the outside, the daughter-in-law or the son-in-law, you may find yourself overexerting yourself trying to win their support or their love, making sure that you remember that's not something that you have complete control over. Talking to the partner in a way that's not judgmental of the mother-in-law, right? Because at the end of the day, that's their mother and they've been dealing with some of these behaviors their entire life. So they may not see it as clear as you see it. So I think the issue comes into play where the the daughter-in-law, they're feeling attacked. And then so they want this person in the middle, which is the son or the, you know, to stick up for them and and they're in a really tough situation. So not putting all that pressure on your partner either because that partner doesn't have control over their their mother. Actually, in this particular instance that we talked about on the podcast this week, it was almost like the mother-in-law and her husband were ganging up on her. Like it was sort of like they were both sort of feeding into each other's unhealthy relationship patterns. So what would somebody do if they're dealing with a difficult mother or father-in-law and their partner is pretty much siding with them? You know, I would hope that this would come up before the wedding because there are some kind of toxic situations where, you know, the son is so embedded in the relationship that he may not see that he is siding for the daughter-in-law or the per- the partner. Really making sure that you're taking care of yourself because people really burn themselves out in these type of toxic relationships as opposed to looking at, because if you're not grounded and you're only looking at like, I need this partner, I want this relationship to work and not looking at the ways that it may not be working, you may be setting yourself up for failure, right? Because we don't have control over other people's actions. We only have control over what we allow. And thinking about what's my negotiables, what's my non-negotiable. My partner has a great relationship with his mom and it's not that the mom doesn't have the same with me. You know, I realize like there's some distance. I'm not going to keep forcing myself, but let them have their relationship. I think the issue comes into play sometimes when we try to force ourselves into that dynamic where it may not work. And that's okay. Like it doesn't have to be a big, happy family. Okay. So maybe these types of behaviors don't start right off 
the bat, let's say I'm maybe like five years into a relationship. And all of a sudden this relationship with my father or mother-in-law starts to become really tense and unhealthy. And she's almost maybe trying to like tear us apart. What are some steps that somebody could take to set healthy boundaries while you're already in it? One, before you engage with your partner, getting kind of clear with what it is that is happening, you know, naming things and not blaming, right? Your mother-in-law does, you know, when she said this, it made me feel this way. Using that language of identifying the behavior and talking about how it made you feel. I think sometimes when we're trying to engage in a conversation that may be difficult, we kind of run with emotion. So if you sit with yourself first and really like kind of write down what it is that you need, what are you struggling with? And then coming to the table with your partner, uh, the conversation can look a little different because the situation, especially if the partner has a great relationship with their mom and they don't see it that way, maybe you pointing it out and not letting up, meaning don't let situations just get swept under the table, trying to identify it more in the moment as opposed to months or years later where it's like, well, I don't remember it that way. If you're talking about it, it's something happened during the day and you talk about it that night, at least there's a little bit more clear context to what you're talking about. For this question, I'm going to kind of lean into the stereotype that we saw in this episode. Do moms and sons have a different kind of relationship than maybe moms and daughters? I'm a mom who's coming from a healed place, right? So my parenting style is different. But I think in general, sometimes there seems to be sometimes a tenser relationship with mom-daughter relationships. I don't think it's because they don't love their child. I, I do think there may be some triggers happening for mothers that they're not aware of. That with the son, it's not the same triggers because you didn't grow up as a son, right? So I think sometimes they tend to be a little bit more closer with their son. But again, kids grow up and become adults. And the issue with parents, I think, especially moms, is they struggle with letting that child become an adult and do their own thing. So I do think there sometimes tends to be a difference with that. So would you say maybe a mother-in-law who is lashing out at their child's partner, would you say some of that comes from not totally willing to let them go and give them, quote unquote, to somebody else? Yeah, like, like jealousy. And if they were a single parent and didn't have a partner, you know, I, unfortunately, I see that a lot where the single parents tend to hover more over the son. You don't really hear about this with relationships where the daughter has a, a, a spouse. You don't really hear about it that way. It's typically the son. And so there could be some jealousy there. And, you know, jealousy are, is, is a normal emotion. And, I, and the issue is that if we're not identifying our emotions, we're leading off of it. And so some of the behaviors do tend to come off as jealous. And it's not in the creepy way of like they want to be with their son. But I think it's more of I wish I had that. Having the kind of emotional, obviously not physical intimacy, but emotional right. intimacy with their son that they'll never have in the way that their partner would have. That makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Exactly. <sighs> and I, when moms are coming from a more healed place, their relationship with their children looks different. It looks different with their their child's partner. And that's why I say like you can never change someone and, and you don't want to like kill yourself or, or, you know, trying to like win somebody's love that is clearly not working with you. Relationships take two to tangle. I feel like I've talked a lot from the perspective of maybe somebody who's experienced like some emotional attacks from a mother or father-in-law. But what if there's somebody listening that maybe is about to give away their son or daughter, you know, in marriage or whatever, and is starting to feel those types of feelings? What would you say to them? Oh, that's good. Remember that you did the best you could when, as you were raising your child, they're adults, they're over 18, allow them to make decisions. You don't want to create tension where your child doesn't want to come to you. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of parents that feel lonely because their kid doesn't want to come back home or call them or answer their texts, right? And there's a lot of projecting on the child as opposed to looking at your behavior. Even if, you know, some parents say, well, like I've always talked to my parent regardless of the 
relationship. That's my parent. You know, I think we're dealing with a different generation where we're taking mental health into account with our relationships, even if it's family. So for parents, you really want to continue to have a great relationship with your child, even if, even if you don't like their spouse, because there are some spouses of the child that may not be the best for your child, right? Let's, we, we didn't talk about that, but even if that's the case, remembering that that's their choice. Let's take a little detour and, and talk about that for a second. Like maybe if somebody um, has a child or maybe it's somebody's sibling where they're about to get engaged or maybe they are engaged or maybe they're married and they're like, oh my gosh, this is not the right person for you. I know. How would you express that in a healthy way? Yeah, that's hard. You know, asking questions more. Let's say you notice something when you're engaging with them. Like, how did that make you feel? As opposed to attacking the partner. And I remember I was in a relationship in high school and my family didn't like this kid. Uh, I remember I leaned more into the relationship because I was trying to prove them wrong. So you want to make sure you don't create that distance with your child. Some people end up with relationships with narcissistic partners. The partner is telling them one thing and then if you're echoing, see, they don't care about me, right? You're going to create distance between you and your child. So you don't want to attack their partner or the person that they chose. You want to make sure you keep an open line of communication where they don't feel like they have to prove their relationship to you in a way where it's not working, but I can't tell you it's not working because I don't want to prove you right. Okay. So let's now talk about narcissism. That's a term that does get brought up on my podcast a lot. We never quite tackled that topic yet. When I asked the person that I interviewed for this episode, I was like, what kind of questions would you want me to talk about? And she said, well, I think my ex-husband was a little bit of a narcissist. And I think sometimes that term can get thrown around a lot. So I would love for you to just define what it is and what it looks like in relationships. You know, a lot of times people that are narcissistic, somebody in their family or like a mom or dad or one of their caregivers was somebody that struggled with that as well. So I'm just going to read the definition. Narcissistic personality is a mental health condition in which people have unreasonably high sense of their own importance. They need and seek too much attention and want people to admire them. And unfortunately, a lot of people that are narcissists end up dealing with people who may have been victims of that type of relationship dynamic in their home. And so like that's something that people should think about. It's interesting because a lot of times people in those relationships are the last person to know that that's happening, which is why if you're a parent or a family or a friend of somebody where you see there's this dynamic in the relationship, it's really important not to name the partner in a negative way because people that are narcissists in these relationships have a way of isolating their partner and making the family and friends seem like the enemy. And you know, the mind believes what we tell it. And so if you're in this relationship, your partner's telling you they're the enemy, they don't like me. And then you're echoing that, your mind is like, oh, well, they don't like him as opposed to seeing it in a certain way. When you said they're often the last person to know, are you talking about the person that has narcissism or the person that is in a relationship with someone? The person that's in a relationship is the last person to know that's happening because by the time they realize it, like they're probably isolated from family and friends, they're emotionally depleted and they are seeking support in some way professionally. And and that's how they end up finding out. What would be some signs that somebody might be tipped off that like, wait a second, I think I might be dating a narcissist. Control. (laughs) Control is um, a big part. Um, Isolation. You know, if I'm in a healthy relationship, which I am, 
We love that for you, Celeste. Thank you. I know. Sorry. I just forgot. It's Valentine's Day. And you're like struggling. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Um, if you're in a healthy relationship, then you want your partner's family and friends to be involved, right? Because community is important. If there's a sense of um, you realize like your partner is talking negative about people. And again, sometimes there are some family and friends that are negative, but it's the way that they're doing it where you're being isolated. Really be mindful of that. Emotions, right? Like there's a lot of people in emotionally abusive relationships. That's why when we're entering into relationships, it's important that we're grounded and we're in a healthy place where we don't feel like we need the partner to be okay, right? It's unfortunate that when you're single, no, I've been married for 14 years. Nobody ever asked me, why are you married? But they will ask you, why are you single? Where it's like, it's something's wrong with me because people are asking me this, this question. And so it's really important that like, as you're entering into relationships, you're not looking at it as this person's going to save me or this is going to make me feel better. It's important to be okay on your own. And I think for people that are in these type of abusive relationships, be mindful if there's like control, if your partner's not concerned about your emotions or trying to downplay, making you feel what you're asking for is too much. You know, just be mindful of that as you're in these relationships. Is there any coming back from being with someone who's narcissistic? Can you bring these things to their attention? Is this something they can work through or really is that something they just need to handle and you need to get out? Yeah, handle and I think it's something that they would have to handle. You know, I was listening to a podcast with someone that helped people get out of narcissistic relationships. She said she had like one case. And I personally don't work with that population, but she had one case where the partner did work on themselves, but it's rare. And so when you are in this type of relationship, whether it's a narcissistic relationship or a relationship that's just not healthy, you know how it is. Like you're not just going to like leave right away. And I have clients like that. And I talk to them about working on themselves. As you're working on yourself for the people that are listening, know that when you're pouring into yourself and you're giving yourself what you need, your mind and body is going to start rejecting the things that aren't good for you. And so the issue is we're in these unhealthy relationships and our mind and body is going in alignment with the way we're treating ourselves. So if I'm not treating myself well, it's easy for me to be in a relationship with somebody that's not treating me well. But as I'm treating myself well, now this relationship that I'm in becomes a little bit easier to like step away from because it doesn't fit where the direction that I'm going. Exactly. You feel empowered to be able to go off and be better. Life is so much better without this dude or this girl. Why am I going to accept this poor treatment? That's what I would say going back to what you said about why are you single? It's like, well, maybe I would like to be in a relationship where I'm treated well and I enjoy being Exactly. I want to bring up something that you said a couple minutes back where you said if somebody is narcissistic, they can sometimes make you feel like you're asking for too much. That gave me a little like ding, ding, ding in my head because that came up in the story where these two people were business partners and I think she was asking him to do something and he was sort of like, well, you can do it so much better than me. It's like asking for too much essentially. And what that reminded me of was something that I heard on TikTok actually was this term called weaponized incompetence. Thing that I keep hearing on TikTok that I hear particularly a lot of women in relationships with men where they basically like act like they're helpless in terms of like trying to get them to do it for them. Oh, you're so much better at doing the dishes than I do. And so they have all this like domestic labor or whatever that they have to put up with because of this. That happens. I I wouldn't say if that's happening, that person's a narcissist. I would say that's like kind of manipulating so you don't have to do certain things. Okay, so let's say somebody finally feels ready to leave a relationship with a narcissist. Are there any long-term effects that they might be working through after getting out? Especially a long-term relationship, physical, emotional abuse. People don't realize like how similar it can feel. Emotional abuse can feel even harder because there were no bruises. With narcissists, very emotional. And there's this like second guessing yourself that may come up as you're leaving or when you left or even missing the partner. Like it's 
it's okay that, you know, some people are like, what's wrong with me? Why do I miss this person that made me feel miserable? But that's who you were with for the entire time. So giving yourself grace. And you may have been in a household where that was the case. You entered into this familiar situation. And when I work with my clients, I'm really big on helping them make connections in their life so that they can give themselves grace as they're trying to heal. Being in a long-term relationship like that, like healing takes time just because you left doesn't mean like I'm free. It's not mentally and you may need a little bit more work and validation from a therapist, um, a coach. If you have a trusted friend, community, you really need community, a support group. So just making sure that you're still working on that healing process and not allowing negative thoughts because there's going to be a lot of negative thoughts to invade your life. And that's so true. I think sometimes emotional wounds are so much harder to heal, especially if you're in a relationship with someone who's been invalidating your feelings and downplaying them. When you leave and you start to experience those, it's almost like you're now downplaying your own emotions. You picked up on those behaviors. So I can imagine that's incredibly, incredibly challenging. And walking around with your own bully, like, right, if you're in your head talking negative to yourself, that's draining. It feels depressing. Um, And so definitely make sure you're not isolating yourself as you're leaving. Because there's a lot of shame and stuff too, especially if people have said things about this relationship. So know that it's okay. Like you're human. So what about somebody who is now, they've left that narcissistic relationship. They're looking to date again. What are maybe some things that you would tell them to keep in mind as they're healing from those emotional wounds and also just things you would tell them to help them find a healthy partner that's not going to do those same things to them? You know, looking at your last relationship and looking at what didn't work, being grounded in what you really want. Like what type of relationship do you want? Because unfortunately we base it off of social social media, the fairy tale stories and um, relationships just don't come together on their own. Making sure that you're grounded and you and you're comfortable with being alone. You know, if you're struggling with being alone and you're always trying to like look for a date, that's a red flag for yourself, right? Like why can't I be okay with being alone? And it's nothing wrong with wanting a partner, but the issue is, is if you feel like that partner is going to complete you. So when you're entering into these relationships, it should be an added bonus to what you already bring to the table for yourself. And also paying attention to your triggers and triggers are things that, you know, let's say you heard a song from when you were in a relationship, it brings up these old feelings like that's clearly identifiable, but there are other triggers that might not be as clear because your mind tries to protect you in those moments of of when you're triggered. Sometimes you can enter into a healthy relationship and you're not really ready, but you're so turned off because it's not what you're used to, right? Like that happens. So really being mindful of like, what's my negotiables? What's my non-negotiables? What do I really want in a relationship? What am I willing to tolerate? What am I not willing to tolerate? So again, sitting with yourself, getting clear with yourself on what's going to work for you before you like make it official in a relationship. I want to ask a question that's specific to the person that told their breakup story this week because she eventually did leave that marriage and she's actually pregnant with this child and she's now having to care for her pregnancy and it's going to be going through all this alone. And she's wondering, are there any things I should be aware of in my own mental health? Like, are there any things that pregnant women doing this alone might face or that I should be aware of? It's interesting because there's a lot of science behind uh, how our mental health is formed in the womb. So, you know, when I work with my clients that are pregnant and stuff, whatever they're struggling with, I'm helping them be mindful of taking care of themselves. It's like, if not for you, do it for your child. So for her, and if, you know, if there's not family or friend support, if there's any pregnant mom support groups, really thinking outside the box, you know, the good thing about the pandemic is that we now have like Zoom as an option. It was always an option, but people look at it differently. So even if you can get to a support group online, that's important because isolation is where those negative thoughts tend to grow more. They love it when we're isolated. Depression and anxiety loves us being there. And so you have to look at it like I need to take my medicine. I need to be in community. 
community. I can't isolate. Right? I got to go for my walks. I got to journal. So really thinking about how to care for yourself in a healthy way because the child is taking in all of that energy as well. Even though they're not here, they're still feeling it. Even when your child comes, the child's still going to feel that energy even as a baby, believe it or not. Celeste, thank you so much for coming on and answering all these yeah. questions. It's always nice to be able to unpack some of the more complicated issues that you know we hear. We're not really sure how to deal with, but now moving forward, I think anybody that's faced with any of these situations is going to feel a lot more empowered. Thank you. This was so fun. I really love this segment. It was it was really great to unpack because the, you you asked some really great questions. And I just as a therapist, I know like so many people are struggling in that realm of things that you're talking about. So thank you for what you do for people. Oh my God, thank you. This is so yeah. nice. You can find out more details about Celeste, the therapist in the episode description, like her podcast and all of her social media. And hey, don't forget, if you want to submit a breakup story or if you want me to DM somebody that you've always wanted to know why they broke up, you can check out the submission form in the episode description. And if you like this podcast, always appreciate it when you leave us a positive review and follow us on Instagram at Breakup Breakdown Podcast.